Did President Biden obstruct justice? We will play you a clip coming up, an incriminating clip of Karim Jean-Pierre saying that President Biden was aware that Hunter Biden was planning to defy a congressional subpoena, which could pose a huge legal problem for the president. Well, at least in theory it would if he wasn't a Democrat and immune from prosecution. The mayor of Boston held a party exclusively for people of color. Now, let me just say this to the mayor, to the Asian mayor of Boston. Here's a little piece of advice. If you're going to hold an exclusive party for only colored people, I'm sorry, people of color, I don't want to be racist, don't send the email invite to the white people. You got to leave the white people off of the invite, okay? Literally, you cannot make this stuff up. The mayor of Boston held a party exclusively for the city council members of color. She invited everyone. Everyone was invited to the party except for whites. Could you be more racist? And then they send out the email inviting people to the racist party, but they sent the email. It was like to the city council members. So they included on the email the white city council members and the non-white city council members, but it literally invited you to the, to be a guest at the electeds of color party. Only minority city councilors were allowed in. These people, they're so incredibly racist and they're so incredibly delusional, not even realizing Michelle Wu, she's the city of Boston's first Asian mayor. The email said, I cordially invite you and a guest to the electeds of color party, but the email was accidentally sent to all the city councilors. Seven of them are white. They, the, the invitation was only supposed to be sent to the six councilors of color, the colored councilors, the councils of color. 15 minutes after the email was sent out and she got massive backlash, she apologized or her assistant. But here's why the the apology is worse than the racist party, because the apology was not. I'm sorry for being a racist. I'm sorry for only inviting for literally being racist against whites and only inviting non-whites and excluding the whites. Here's the quote from the apology. This is the apology from the mayor's assistant who sent out the email. Court, I want to apologize for my previous email regarding a holiday party. I did send that to everyone by accident. I apologize if my email may have offended or come across as offensive. Sorry for any confusion. So I'm sorry that I sent the email to the... I'm not sorry that I only invited minorities. I'm not sorry that I'm racist against whites. I'm sorry that my email accidentally went to the white people who I'm discriminating against. That's the apology. That's the offense. You cannot make this stuff up. All right, Republicans are outraged about the Hunter Biden circus of a press conference. And, you know, here's what I hear Republicans saying. And obviously they have a right to be outraged because it's outrageous. But look how arrogant Hunter Biden is. I literally heard a Republican congressman saying, this man is so arrogant. He th- arrogant. He th- whoa, <laughs> arrogant. OK, I don't know what the pronunciation is going there. He thinks that the rules don't apply to him. He thinks because he's the president's son, because his name is Biden, because he's a Democrat, he thinks he can get away with all of this. I have a newsflash. He's getting away with it. He can get away with it. Yes, he's arrogant and he believes and I'm not condoning this this vicious, evil monster, Hunter Biden, but uh, he's getting away with it. So it's like, well, he thinks he can get away with it. He thinks the rules the rules don't apply to him. The rules, literally, he literally is, and now, but he's getting, he finally got indicted. Look what it took. I mean, this man has committed so many crimes, allegedly. He has, he is so corrupt, and there is so much overwhelming evidence, and he still almost got exonerated, and they had to put enormous pressure on the whistleblowers, and then they tried the plea bargain. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, and now, meanwhile, President Joe Biden, all right, listen, we've got to talk about the Middle East. We have to talk about Israel, and The problem is that it's like a whole separate category of news story, obviously, because, you know, it's it's just so incredibly close to home and to our hearts. And, you know, there's just a lot of 
negative news and a lot of very, very, very sad and tragic news that keeps coming. And it's, I'll be honest, you know, it's a kind of a difficult balance to try to figure out how much to focus on it. And of course, you're hearing it in a lot of other places. So I kind of focus on the political angle more and the news angle less, which is typically what we do around here. We focus on the politics. So let's get into that for a moment. President Biden, he keeps bringing up the two-state solution. Lloyd Austin is now in Israel. Jake Sullivan was in Israel. And the Biden administration is putting enormous pressure on Israel, enormous pressure on Israel to avoid civilian casualties. And there's a shocking, shocking op-ed in the, in the Wall Street Journal Monday, today, saying that the reason that more Israeli soldiers, now IDF soldiers now, are dying in larger numbers, I mean, every single day, I want to be so careful and so sensitive here in how I discuss this, every single life is so precious, every single Yiddish life in Yiddish Neshama is so incredibly precious, and it's tragic. It is just so tragic what's going on. And, and uh, you know, I can't bring this up without mentioning, of course, the horrific, horrific tragedy. The problem is I, I don't have the knowledge or even, you know, the emotional wherewithal to get to analyze and to discuss and to break down this horrific tragedy about the three hostages, Rahman who were killed by IDF soldiers who mistook them for uh, Hamas terrorists. It, it, it's horrific. It's horrific. It's unspeakable. Hopefully we get back into it. Hopefully more details emerge. I'm sorry. I have to mention it because I can't not mention it. But at the same time, it's so incredibly, incredibly painful. But uh, getting back to this Wall Street Journal article, the IDF, uh, the, 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 what the, the, the journal is saying that because of Biden's pressure, uh, Israel now is not able to do the strategic things it was doing to Hamas, and therefore more IDF soldiers are being placed in harm's way, are being placed in danger, and are getting killed than before. If you look, the numbers are higher, are increasing on a daily basis. The number of IDF soldiers that are killed, well, the Wall Street Journal says, you know why? Because originally, remember, they were doing the aerial bombing. What they would do is they would bomb out entire areas through the air. They would do these massive, massive airstrikes, and that would clear out the ground that way, before the ground was invaded, before the different areas were invaded on the ground by IDF soldiers, it was already cleared out. And a lot of the terrorists were already basically bombed to smithereens. And that cleared the area so that the, Israel, the IDF soldiers could go in there in a safe way. But now, because Biden is pressuring them to be more surgical and more targeted and not to do this, this man, these massive aerial bomb attacks in the southern part of Gaza to avoid civilian casualties, so that is actually causing them to endanger the lives of IDF soldiers. Meanwhile, Biden keeps talking about the two-state solution and Lloyd Austin and, 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 and all these, uh, you know, Anthony Blinken. And you know what's so disgraceful, so sickening about this? Those words should not even be uttered until this entire war is over to even mention a two-state solution. And now, by the way, there's a story that the United States State Department is considering placing Hamas back in charge. Not that they have the right to do this, but they, they, they're, 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 not, they're open to the idea that Hamas could still be in charge of Gaza. Can you believe that? It's insane. So uttering the words two-state solution is so insensitive. There are still hostages in, in, in Gaza, many, many hostages. The war is still ongoing. Imagine if after 9-11, imagine if America was pressured into a two-state solution with the Taliban. Imagine if you had Europe or any country basically going to George Bush, going to the United States and saying, you know what? I really think we should discuss, be open to a two-state solution in Afghanistan between America and the Taliban or whatever, whatever the parallel would be. It's literally the same thing. The only difference is that the Taliban is actually not even as bad as Hamas. Hamas is much, much worse. I don't even think the Taliban was officially designated as a, as a terrorist entity, um, and Hamas is. You know, the Taliban was like the official government. 
And all right, let's get into other news here. Uh, we knew this would happen eventually, but uh, global warming, you have scientists now say that human breathing is a contributing factor to global warming. When we exhale, we are pumping carbon, carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And so basically fossil fuels are coming out of uh, our own bodies when we exhale. And so breathing is now contributing to global warming. So basically, all right, no more exhaling. You can only inhale, but you can't exhale. You can't make this stuff up, but this is real. Scientists are saying that humans are heavily contributing to global warming. Well, and by the way, I don't think it's a bad idea if all leftists, if all climate activists would try like holding their breath, you know, in the name of the climate, saving the planet. Listen, take it for the team. You got to save the climate. You've got to prevent global warming. Don't breathe, (laughs) but only leftists. But but what's the obvious implication over here by these scientists? Humanity is bad. We need to eliminate humans. And which humans do you think they're going to come for first? They're going to come for the science deniers and the, the anti-vaxxers, the election deniers, the MAGA Republicans, the deplorables. You know, the may, maybe, maybe criminals and terrorists will be somewhere on the list, like below right-wing MAGA Trump supporters. But here's what's incredible is that a new study literally claims this, that the gases in the air exhaled from human lungs is fueling global warming. And they say uh, methane and nitrous oxide, so not even carbon, I guess, uh, methane and nitrous oxide that we exhale makes a 0.1% of at least the UK's greenhouse gas emissions. So we have greenhouse gas, gas emissions coming from our bodies, literally. It's, it, it's, it's stunning. Meanwhile, the UN Climate Summit, this is unbelievable. Environmentalists are livid that the UN Climate Summit, they did not agree to a timeline on when to phase out fossil fuels. But what's incredible about this is the UN, they literally let the Arab oil tycoons exploit this whole climate thing. It is so obvious. The UN, the climate hoax that the UN, the narrative that they try to advance is so incredibly bogus. It is made up. It's fabricated. And the proof is they don't care about the climate because they let these Arab countries, they let China, India and all these Arab Gulf states produce and Russia produce an enormous amount of oil and fossil fuels. They do it in a much less safe way. They do it in a way that's much more, you know, that creates much more pollution and is much more damaging to the environment and the climate than America would do it and the, and the Europeans would do it. But that's what they do. They, they literally all they're using this is as a uh, pretext to hurt Israel, to hurt, I'm sorry, to hurt the United States, to hurt Europe. Uh, Israel, everything, everything the UN does is there to hurt Israel. And they literally, this whole thing is just somehow about helping China, Russia, and these Arab states who the UN is obsessed with helping them gain uh, an incredible, incredible economic advantage in the name of the climate. So here's what's incredible. They came out with no commitments or timeline to eliminate fossil fuels. The president of the conference uh, this Arab oil tycoon that we told you about, this Sultan, right, Al, Al, Sultan Al-Nadir, uh, after he, he negotiated a deal with countries, he coordinated a deal with a bunch of countries to wean off fossil fuels. He says, but I'm going to keep investing in oil and gas. So he's basically getting all of us pathetic Western countries to stop producing oil and gas. He's going to keep producing it himself now in record numbers because he's going to be one of the only suppliers left other than Vladimir Putin. And Iran. So it's ingenious what these Arab, the Arab leaders are pulling off here. They're exploiting this obsession with climate change so that Russia and the Arab states can get rich off of oil and natural gas, be the only suppliers. And the United States and Europe, they're like thankful. They're grateful. They're like, listen, thank you for destroying our economies. And they're hurting the planet even more. Sultan al-Qadr, I don't know what I called him before, 
But uh, Sultan Al-Qadr, the head of ADNOC, the UAE's state-controlled oil and gas company, he led the conference. And he, by the way, he doesn't even believe in phasing out fossil fuels. And he knows the science. And he told the Guardian, but by the way, you know, even though we negotiated a deal, a bunch of countries committed to reducing fossil fuels, my company's going to stick to my record investments in oil and gas, uh, oil and gas uh, drilling. It's unbelievable. So Human Rights Watch actually put out uh, uh, an article. They're really furious. They say the conference did not go far enough. This COP28 conference. This is the first time, by the way, this shows you that this climate hoax is so bogus, the U.N. themselves don't believe in it. Because this this is the U.N.'s annual climate conference, COP28. It's been happening for 30 years. It It's the first time ever that this COP28 conference acknowledged the need to transition away from fossil fuels. That's by their own admission. And yet they're annoyed because it didn't go far enough. Here's what they say, quote, finally naming fossil fuels in a COP28 outcome is a long overdue recognition of the industry primarily responsible for the climate crisis, but governments fell short of making the urgent and time-bound commitment that the world needs to confront the climate crisis. So it's the first time in over 30 years of this UN conference on climate change that they actually mentioned fossil fuels in the outcome when they were, you know, uh, putting out, publishing, releasing the outcome of the conference that fossil fuels in order to contain the global temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, all right. The government has overpaid. Got a lot of stories to get to over here. The government has overpaid Social Security checks to millions of Americans, um, of course, o- virtually all elderly people, seniors and old people. And now the government is saying you owe us thousands of dollars back. This is what always happens is the government. They mistakenly pay out these checks. They overpay because the government is clueless. I mean, imagine how often does that happen with private companies? How often does Geico and Visa and other companies and Amazon overpay. It happens on rare, rare occasions, but these mistakes almost never happen with the government. They just literally dole out millions of dollars by mistake. Remember COVID? Sending COVID checks to, to, to deceased people, etc. So Social Security checks. Millions of Americans have gotten overpayments on their Social Security checks. And now the government is demanding you have to pay back thousands of dollars to each each of these people who had no idea the people, this is already within the last couple of years. So the people got this money, they spent, they're not sitting there calculating and with inflation and everything else, they don't know how much to expect. They spent the money, the money's gone, and now the government is demanding that they pay back the money and they're being threatened that they're going to lose their benefits if they don't pay it back. Millions of elderly people, you know, so what's disgraceful, number one, again, they make these mistakes, they make these accounting errors, these calculation errors. This is par for the course. It happens all the time with the government because they're the government. And now these poor old people are being told, well, we're going to cut off your Social Security benefits. How do they even have a right to do this if you don't pay us back? And it's like the money's already been spent. But, but you know, that's the government for you. And uh, that's Democrats for you because they're going to say they're going to blame Republicans and say that somehow the Republicans are at fault because the Republicans don't like seniors. No, 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 no. This is what the Democrats do to seniors and bureaucracy in general, the government in general. All right. It is time now we are going to get to this clip. This is Peter Ducey. Speaking to Kareem Jean-Pierre following the Hunter Biden circus, Hunter Biden fiasco in front of Congress, in front of the Capitol, where he literally defied a congressional subpoena. And now Congress has gone into recess, so they're not going to be able to put him in, hold him in contempt for a while. But hopefully that is going to happen. Listen to this clip. Look, um, I don't have anything else to add. The president was familiar with what um, Hunter was going to say today. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, look, 
he's proud of his son. He and the first lady are proud of his son, how he's rebuilding his life back. He's going to focus on what is needed on so the American nice. people. Hunter, and I've said this many times, is a private citizen. And so certainly I would have to refer you to... Um, uh, to his representatives, I'm just not going to get into private conversations because what you're asking me is actually a private conversation. I'm just not going to. He's he's proud of his son. He's proud of his son. So nice. What you know, very, very uh, special boy to be proud of. And uh, she's not going to get into private conversations. Well, she just said something very, very damaging and incriminating. She said that President Biden was aware ahead of time of what Hunter was planning to do. Well, that could be obstruction of justice because that means he knew that hunter was going to defy a congressional subpoena and lawyer jonathan turley says that uh, you can add this to the list of impeachable offenses of president joe biden listen to this follow-up clip by the way of peter ducey asking uh Karine john pierre about this uh, he said that president biden was familiar with what his son was going to say on capitol hill if I called my dad and said, I am about to violate a congressional subpoena, he'd probably say, son, you shouldn't do that. Was there any attempt by President Biden to talk Hunter out of it today? Are you going to call your dad Steve? Call him dad, usually. <laughs> he said that so there you go. So she, she cracks a joke and turns it into a joke. Her, his, Peter Ducey's father. Peter Ducey is Fox's White House correspondent. His father is Steve Ducey, who's actually an anchor on Fox and Friends on Fox News, the Fox News Channel. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, Peter Ducey, they're making a very, very valid and obvious point, which is Joe Biden's the president. And according to their own admission, he was aware that Hunter Biden was going to de defy a congressional subpoena put on this circus. Well, according to constitutional law, and she just laughs at all. Ha ha ha. Oh, you're going to call your father. According to constitutional law scholar Jonathan Turley, Corinne Jean-Pierre made a breathtaking mistake in an op-ed. Turley says that her statement suggests the president spoke with his son before his act of contempt discussed the statement that he was going to make, and he says that could add a charge of obstruction, add that to a bunch of other potential charges for him, and they're not going to impeach Joe Biden. I say this again and again. I would love them to impeach. I know some of you say, no, they shouldn't impeach Joe Biden because then then that, that could make him not run in November 2024. I don't buy it. Look, I've been saying for a long time, I'm not convinced that Joe Biden is going to be the candidate in November 2024. A lot of people think that it's going to cause so much turmoil among the Democrat Party that it's actually, they're not going to let him step down and step aside. We don't know. But either way, if Biden gets impeached, it's not like he's going to be thrown out. He's not going to get convicted in the Senate. He gets impeached and then he gets acquitted. So he'll still be running in November 2024. To me, the impeachment uh, doesn't affect that one way or the other, whether he's if he's going to run, he's going to run. If he's not going to run, he's not going to run. The impeachment is not going to really change that, in my opinion. I don't see how. It's not like, well, he's going to run in 2024 in November. But uh, if he gets impeached, then suddenly he's going to say, all right, I'm stepping aside and I'm, you know, I I'm stepping out, dropping out of the race. I just don't believe that's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen anyway. So I think you should impeach Joe Biden. But again, he's not going to get impeached. All right. The woke mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, has filed multiple lawsuits, dozens of lawsuits, actually, against bus companies. What are the bus companies crime? What is that? What are they doing wrong? They're transporting illegals from the southern border to the city of Chicago. Now, you may be wondering, but isn't Chicago a sanctuary city? Well, yeah, but it's these rogue bus companies. They get mad at Governor Tex the governor of Texas, Jim Abbott, and Governor DeSantis, and now they're getting mad at the bus companies. Now they say, we still welcome asylum seekers, a.k.a. illegals. We, they're welcome to Chicago. Chicago's a sanctuary city. With open arms, we embrace them. Come on in, and you can take up all of our money, take all of our money, and we'll get you get all this free government, you know, goodies, free health care, free education, free food, free hotel stay. 
You can have all that, but the buses can only bring you at certain times. So blame the bus company. They're doing everything they can to prevent illegals from coming into these cities while still saying these hypocrites, these disgraceful, two-faced hypocrites like Eric Adams and the mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Washington, D.C. Please, please, please come. Come and destroy our city. You're welcome. But only at certain hours of the day. And also, we get mad at the people who stick you on buses and bus you to our city, which we claim just loves and is obsessed with hosting illegals. It's unbelievable. They do they, they, they jump through every possible hoop to be able to not have illegals in their city and cl- while claiming, oh, we love illegals. We want more and more illegals. Please come to our city. Please suck up all of our resources. And Eric Adams literally putting signs in Spanish, Spanish signs in Spanish flyers at the southern border. Don't come to New York City. It's not going to be good. And then, of course, what do they do? They come to New York City because they know that they get all the free stuff. And they don't believe the flyer because their cousins are telling them, calling them and telling them, hey, you get to you get to stay in the Roosevelt Hotel for free. And you get you literally get catered meals like this is the American dream. Anyway, so Brandon Johnson has filed 55 lawsuits against rogue bus companies. He says that, you know, that we welcome asylum seekers as long as these evil bus companies follow our schedule. They can only be brought in during business hours and only like one one drop off every hour or something like that. It, you can't make this stuff up. All right. So let's get into a, a real update here on the Middle East. And uh, what I want to talk about is Israel's war against Iran's proxies, which is right now the, the Israelis are basically being handcuffed. It's a very, very the whole situation is very complex and very, you know, disturbing. But, you know, the big news this this week is the Red Sea. The big news this week is that you have the Houthi rebels who are who are attacking. They're trying to disrupt international trade and they're literally carrying out rocket attacks, drone rocket attacks against commercial tankers, oil tankers and cargo ships in the Red Sea. And now you have, I guess, BP says they're not going to send any tankers. You have these very large oil companies saying they're not going to send any tankers through that, you know, that shipping, uh, that waterway. And that is very, very damaging and very disruptive. So you have the Houthi rebels who are carrying out these rocket attacks. You have Hezbollah. Hezbollah, they haven't done a lot, but Hezbollah has been uh, carrying out attacks against Israel. And Biden has told Israel, do not respond, do not retaliate against Houthi rebels, do not retaliate against Hezbollah. Why? Is it because Biden cares about Israel? No. Even though they keep telling us Biden cares about Israel, Biden's a disgrace. Biden does not care about Israel. Now you have them pressuring Israel to avoid, you know, uh, to, you know, to be more humanitarian and to avoid civilian casualties in Gaza. So now the Israelis are, that is hurting the Israeli strategies, as I mentioned earlier, and that's making it more difficult for Israeli troops. I mean, it's really mayhem, chaos, what's happening in Gaza. And it's tougher now because Biden is putting all this pressure on Israel. And and, and uh, you wonder at which point Israel would possibly buckle under the pressure. So the Houthi rebels, are, are, excuse me, are very, very, it's very dangerous what they're doing. They're attacking Israeli ships, trying to disrupt inter- international trade, a U.S. warship. And you'll say, well, the United States is getting involved. Again, they're getting involved because they want to prevent this from escalating into a regional war. And they want to prevent any kind of conflict, direct conflict between Israel and Iran. That is Biden's number one agenda. I'm sorry. It's, it's the only explanation that makes any sense to me. So a U.S. warship shot down 14 attra- attack drones over the Red Sea this past weekend. Houthi rebels in Yemen have launched a series of attacks on vessels in the Red Sea, one of the world's busy- busiest shipping routes, have launched drones and missiles targeting Israel. And like I said, uh, Israel is being told, do not retaliate, which is just outrageous. Um, 
The drones were shot down with no damage to ships in the area. Report injuries. Central Command tweeted. U.S. Central Command tweeted. But again, the problem is that um, the, the the ships, the commercial tankers, these companies are saying we're not going to deliver. And that could be incredibly disruptive. So the Iranian strategy now, they are totally taking advantage of the fact that they know that Biden will not retaliate. Biden has basically held up a big sign. We will not retaliate. Iran, have a field day. Iran, you, you it's a free for all. Do what you want because we're not going, I'm not going to retaliate because I need you. You're, you, Iran, are part of my legacy. I need to keep you as my friend. And I need to keep giving you billions of dollars. So this could be disastrous for the world economy. But more importantly, it's very, very dangerous for Israel whom Biden has told to stand down. Um, all right, meanwhile, according to Rasmussen, listen to this. All right, we're, we're moving on. Well, no, I want to keep going here with, uh, with, with the Middle East. Uh, very, very disturbing new poll numbers show overwhelming support for Hamas. The Palestinians, including in the West Bank, have overwhelming support for Hamas. That is no surprise. But young Americans, young Americans, this is just shocking. I mean, I guess nothing should shock us, but the young American sentiment toward Hamas is very, very disturbing. So a new poll, a Palestinian poll from the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research shows the overwhelming majority of Palestinians support the Hamas terror attack. This is not as shocking. An even bigger majority denied that Hamas has committed war crimes and atrocities. Um, And this is Palestinians all throughout the Palestinian territory, so both in Gaza and the West Bank. So here are the takeaways. Um, seven, uh, the vast majority of Palestinians say it's the right decision, it was the right decision for Hamas to launch the terrorist attack on Shemini Tzeres on Simchus Torah. Now, this is 82% of Palestinians in the West Bank, 57% in Gaza, total of 72%. Now think about those numbers. 82% of the West Bank, 57% in Gaza. Why are fewer Palestinians in Gaza supporting Hamas, the Hamas terror attack? Because they know Hamas. They know what Hamas is all about. They have, they're the biggest victims of Hamas, is the Palestinians in Gaza. In the West Bank, they don't see how evil Hamas is because they don't live there. So it's pretty astonishing. Meanwhile, 95% of Palestinians say Israel, ha- say Israel has committed war crimes during its response in Gaza. And only 10% believe that Hamas has committed war crimes. 89% say... They have not. Uh, only 7% of Palestinians believe that the atrocities uh, be, that the atrocities that Hamas is guilty of actually took place. And a new poll from Harvard-Harris, and this is talking about young Americans, shows very, very disturbing beliefs and opinions about young Americans. Um, 51% of Americans aged 18 to 24 believe Israel should be dissolved and given to Hamas. 60% of Young of Americans between age 18 and 24 justified the Hamas terror attack. Meanwhile, I want to get to a totally separate poll here, Rasmussen poll. 40% of Democrats believe that removing statues of George Washington is a good thing. Pretty astonishing. Um, what else is going on here? All right, I want to talk about um, all right, one more thing about the Middle East here. Several top Hamas leaders have fled Qatar for an unknown location. And there have been reports, and this is the big question, is why on earth is is Qatar allowed to be hosting these terror leaders, these heads of Hamas, these these monsters, and Qatar protects them. Qatar has protected The reason, you know, Qatar is the one, Qatar or Qatar, we'll call it Qatar. Uh, They're the ones who are negotiating, even when they had these hostage swaps going on. It was negotiated by Qatar. Why? If, if if you are the mediator, if you're the go-between between Hamas and anybody, then there's something very wrong with you, okay? So that's what tells you all you need to know about Qatar 
is that they are themselves a state sponsor of terror and they allow, they give billions of dollars to Hamas uh, and uh, and they then protect the Hamas leaders. So, you know, the, the two big, you know, Ismail Haniyeh and, uh, you know, Khalid Meshal, they're the two big heads of Hamas. They're both billionaires and they've been living a protected life. They've been living safely in Qatar for years. Now, there, are, there have been reports that Bibi Netanyahu has told the Mossad, go and get them. Why has that, why has it not happened until now? And, and, and the United States, uh, has relations with Qatar and the United States has, you know, uh, business dealings with Qatar. And you'd think that they would sanction Qatar and say, until you eliminate these terrorists or get them out or, or just basically banish them, then you don't get American money. And, and why is Israel and the Mossad not going in and infiltrating? I don't know. I don't know the answers to this, but there are reports now that Netanyahu has given the Mossad the green light to track them down wherever they are. And now some Hamas leaders, although I don't know if the two big ones, have left Qatar, turned off their cell phones and become totally unreachable. They've gone dark. Uh, Khan News reported, but again, they're not reporting it about the two big ones about, you know, Mishal and Hania. Khan News reported Salah al-Aruri, senior member of Hamas, left his residence in Beirut. Well, uh, all right, that's not Qatar, that's Beirut. But but like I said, Qatar as well. The report suggests Qatari officials have told Hamas leaders they can no longer guarantee the safety. So you'd have to think it's the two the two big ones also. Uh, all right, in other news, uh, well, this is not news. This is just something that I've noticed. <laughs> Um, I, 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 this, I may be crazy. Okay. I don't know, but I, I've, I've been in a couple of stores and I'm not a big, I'm going to digress here to muffins. We're going to talk about muffins. What on earth does he want with muffins? Well, I'll tell you, I've noticed that a couple of stores, the muffins, you know, very often, like, well, let's say you buy a chocolate chip muffin or uh, a muffin that has some kind of, or, you know, chocolate muffin, chocolate cheese muffin with some kind of like, uh, topping and filling, right? A flavored muffin. Right. Not just a plain muffin, but a muffin that has stuff. Right. So usually, in my experience, the stuff is on top. They obviously they want to decorate the muffin. They want you to be, you know, they want to entice you to buy the muffin. But then inside the muffin, let's say a chocolate chip muffin will have chocolate chips on top, you know, on the little the top part of the muffin. And then inside the muffin, there'll be more chocolate chips or chocolate or whatever the flavoring is, or I guess the filling or the flavoring. And what I've noticed is a couple of times and I can't sound like I sit there buy muffins every single day. But recently, last few weeks, I bought a couple of muffins. And the top looked all, you know, very, very enticing and looked like it had, it was full of stuff. And then I get, and this happened, when it happened once, I said, all right, maybe that's how this place makes the muffins or maybe there's something I'm missing. But this happened more than once where the top of the muffin was loaded and then I got inside to the middle of the muffin and it was dry and it was just plain and it didn't have the stuff. And okay, maybe that's just how they make it, but I don't remember it being that way. And the thought that I had, and maybe this is a conspiracy theory, is, and I'm not blaming the the stores as much as Joe Biden, right? Mr. Dollar Tree himself, Dollar Twenty Five Tree. So is that because of inflation? If you're a bakery, and I'm and I'm being I'm actually being dead serious now. I'm curious. I want to hear your thoughts, and send me an email, uh, you know, or leave me a voicemail on the hotline. Send me an email, Josh at vinnews.com, Josh at vinnews.com about this or anything on your mind, but. I, when you think about it, right, chocolate chips probably cost more money. The more chocolate chips they add, as opposed to just having flour and egg, I believe that gets more expensive. Chocolate chips or whatever the flavor may be or cheese. So maybe they put it on top because obviously they want to make it look like they want, you know, the appearance, the packaging is very crucial. You're not going to buy a chocolate muffin if you don't see any chocolate on top. But then in the middle, maybe they're being stingy because of inflation. Maybe it's to save money because when you sell dozens of muffins a day, hundreds of muffins a week, and you save money, you have fewer chocolate chips in each of the muffins, maybe 
you actually save a decent amount of money that way. And because of inflation, they're having to tighten. They don't want to charge four or five bucks a muffin. The muffins already are not cheap. Muffins are very expensive, at least by my, you know, based on uh, what I'm used to and what I would, what I would expect. So I'm just curious if anybody has any experience about that or thoughts about that. Or maybe you own a bakery. You could tell me that, you know, the, uh, the behind the scenes, the inside, you know, uh, g- give me the insider perspective. Now, or maybe not. Maybe I'm just totally making this up. Now, the other thing is the economy mode on the car, right? The car transmission, there's an economy mode on a lot of these new cars. I think it's economy or ecological or eco, whatever. It's a, it's, it's a mode that's supposed to save gas. And, uh, you know, what could be wrong with saving gas, right? And so uh, you, you could put the economy mode. The car still travels pretty well. Maybe it doesn't accelerate as quickly. Maybe it affects the pickup, but it's not bad in my experience with these cars. And I've been using this economy mode, figuring I'd save a little bit of gas. And then I said to my wife, I said, you know what? Let's stop using this economy mode. And here's why. Because my thought process was, listen, Nissan or whatever the car is, the car company, they're not going to hurt their own brand, right? So because I thought maybe it's bad for the transmission. Maybe it like kind of chokes up. I don't know exactly how it works, but I assume it prevents fuel from being pumped into the engine. That would be how the economy mode works. And, you know, the transmission, the engine, however exactly it operates, and that it uses less gas. And my thought was, all right, well, but maybe that could kind of hurt the car because maybe if it like prevents, I don't know exactly how, but, uh, you, you know, you feel like it's kind of like you're putting extra pressure uh, when, when you give gas and maybe that could hurt the transmission or whatever. I have no idea. I don't know enough about cars to know, but my thought was maybe it hurts the car. Nah, Nissan's not going to do that. They're not going to put this feature on the car that actually damages the car. And and one thought you could say is well, but you know they want the car to break sooner. Then you'll then you'll get a new car. I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. But my point is that then I realized one second. Number one, the the, the government might be mandating this. So it could be the government forces these companies to do this economic mode to, to conserve gas, like we mentioned earlier. Government hates fossil fuels. So who knows? Maybe it could damage the car because maybe it's a government compliance thing. So why bother? Why risk it? Number two, you know, save a couple of bucks, but hurt my car. Number two. Even these woke companies, they'll actually hurt their own products. We've seen this before. These companies, these woke heads of these companies, they care more about the climate than they care about their own brand and about their own product. So who knows? All right, the man who attacked and nearly killed Lee Zeldin is not going to prison, was not sentenced. He was sentenced to three years probation. So I guess he served a couple of weeks in prison last year, but he is out and he's a, he's a free man on probation. This is disgraceful. This man climbed onto a campaign, of course, in New York State, so that's all you need to know. This man climbed onto a campaign stage. Remember this? It was a horrific video. And Lee Zeldin, you know, he could have been hurt. He could have possibly been killed. He was nearly stabbed. And just Lee Zeldin managed to, like, defend himself. And the, the, I don't know where security was, asleep at the wheel there. But Lee Zeldin grabbed this man's hand. I guess Lee Zeldin was like a former, like, Marine or something, like a combat uh, person. And he actually, he knew self-defense. But otherwise, this could have been disastrous. This this person got onto the stage. He was holding this sharp object, and he tried to stab Zeldin, this David Jacobonis, and um, he was carrying this sharp object. He was drunk. The men struggled, and then Jacobonis pulled Zeldin down, but then he was subdued, and he was a U.S. Army veteran. He was drunk. He was trying to basically get to the microphone, and Zeldin was in his way, and a judge last year allowed him to be released from jail into an alcohol treatment program. That was in October. And Jacobonis' attorney says his client is not the same person. It's been 17 months since the incident. And he's benefited from counseling to address PTSD and anxiety disorder. Look, I feel bad. This man obviously has mental illness and mental issues. But how can he not 
spend time in jail? How could he not be sentenced to jail? Well, because he did it in New York State. If you're a criminal and you want to commit a crime and not be thrown into jail, and especially he did it to a Republican. not not It wasn't like he tried to stab a Democrat. He did it to Lee Zeldin. But this is just a disgrace. All right. Somebody asked me about Jack Smith. Um, should we do this now? Should we, I think we're going to leave this till next time. But, you know, Jack Smith, of course, is the the federal prosecutor who he's he, he's the one who charged Trump with these bogus January 6th charges, which is just absurd. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Trump uh, rallying his supporters and uh, uh, saying that the election was rigged, which Trump absolutely believed the election was. And the election certainly was rigged. The question is to what extent. But, but it's undeniable now the election was rigged in 2020. So that's not a crime. It's not a crime to rally your supporters and tell them, by the way, peaceful protests only because Trump reiterated that multiple times. But anyway, Jack Smith now, uh, he's actually taking the case to the Supreme Court because there are some legal battles going on within this case. And essentially what's going on, a caller said to me, hey, what's Jack Smith's strategy? Essentially, he's trying to fast track this case because what's happening, they're trying desperately to make sure that these trials are happening during the election to distract Trump, to, to make sure that Trump stays off the campaign trail. They're trying to get some kind of conviction against Trump uh, before the November election. They're desperate for that. And, of course, these trials take a very, very long time because it's the courts, it's the government. Anything government-related takes takes a long time, takes months and years. So it's not going fast enough for Jack Smith. But the whole thing, it's literally, a, it's a political, it's not a legal trial. This is all politics. It's totally 100% political. And even the Washington Post, the leftist Jeff Bezos-owned Washington Post actually has an op-ed talking about how Jack Smith's prosecution and these strategies of his and the political maneuvers are all for political purposes, not legal maneuvers, which is pretty astonishing that even the Washington Post admits this. So we will try to get to that next time. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.